Hey everybody and welcome back to Conversing Labs podcast. I'm your host Paul Roberts. I'm the cyber content lead here at Conversing Labs. And I am here in the Reversing Labs booth at the Black Hat Conference with Thomas Pace, CEO and co-founder of NetRise. Hey man, welcome. Great to meet you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you here. So we're here on the show, the beautiful Black Hat briefing. Great view. Yeah, Mandalay Bay. Before I ask you to talk to us about NetRise, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I started this thing around two and a half years ago during peak COVID because I clearly like to make my own life difficult. Uh, and uh, I live in Austin, Texas, originally from Pittsburgh. Started my career in the Marine Corps doing not cybersecurity things. Okay. Then I worked for Department of Energy doing industrial control system security. Worked at this company called Silence for a little while, which was an amazing experience. Heard of them. Doing ICS and IR work initially. And then I oversaw all of our IoT firmware and embedded system consulting engagements for very large device manufacturers, among, cool. among other things. Another thing that we have to thank the COVID pandemic for is the uh, birth of NetRise. Is the emergence of NetRise, yes. <laughs> okay, tell us about NetRise. What does the company do? Yeah, so NetRise, we're a company that focuses on providing visibility and risk identification into a class of devices that historically has had none. And so those devices include, but are not limited to, IoT, industrial control systems, medical devices, embedded systems and vehicles, satellites and telecommunications equipment. Uh, and the way we do that is by automatically unpacking and reverse engineering the firmware. Reverse engineering is, we're actually just like doing software decomposition, basically identifying components, building an SBOM, identifying the vulnerabilities associated with those components in the SBOM, saying are there exploits or not, and then doing analysis across other artifacts that are relevant from a supply chain security perspective, such as public keys, private keys, certificates, misconfigurations, credentials, and then we give you all of that in a SaaS-based platform that you can search, that you can integrate in with other things via our API, that you can build remediations around, alerting, et cetera, et cetera. And so these devices have historically, they don't benefit from this, all of the other normal security solutions that exist. You can't install an agent. You can't do a credentialed scan in the same kind of way. There's no way to put EDR on these things, generally speaking. And however, these are the same devices that power the very society in which we all operate and live, and yet we are totally blind to the vulnerabilities and risks that lie within them. Okay. This is the elephant in the living room of the information security world, which is Internet of Things devices, embedded devices. Yep. So much of this was built on traditional IT, securing traditional IT networks, those endpoints, traditional kind of perimeterized IT environments. That's right. It's not the reality we're living in now. Talk about, if you were to talk about at a high level, where the hotspots are around embedded device security, IoT security for companies, for enterprises, where are they feeling the pain? Yeah, so we, we sell to both device manufacturers and the enterprise. Yeah. Those are different yeah. selling motions, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then we also sell to consulting companies and, and the federal government as well. Imagine the next Log4j vulnerability. Actually, let me just talk about it this way. When Log4j came out and you're the biggest company on planet Earth, JP Morgan Chase even, and you want to figure out where is that component 
in all of my, or do I have that component in all of my routers, switches, security cameras, printers, blah, 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 blah. Think about the number of device manufacturers that a company like Chase must have. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands. And you can't just scan it with Tenable and figure out like, oh, here's where Log4j is, or those tools don't work, right? Just because they're not meant to do that. And it's not that those tools are bad, those tools are great. And so you have no way to figure out how to answer that question on your own. And you might think to yourself, won't the device manufacturers let me know, or can't I just reach out to them? Maybe, but what we find is most of them also don't know what software components make up all their devices. Some of that's for a good reason, and some of that's for not a great reason. And so for an enterprise, if you're dealing with the specter of a remote code execution vulnerability that is known to be generally present in embedded Linux, that is generally what's running on all of your telecommunications infrastructure, how are you determining if you have that right now? And the answer is, you're just not. And so you're just flying blind. And before we started recording this, we were talking about the Volt Typhoon nation state threat actor group that recently compromised some critical infrastructure in the federal government. And the way they got into that critical infrastructure organization was by exploiting a vulnerability in a Fortinet firewall. So the very thing that you are expecting to protect yourself against is the very thing that, or not protect yourself against, but to protect you is the way that now malicious threat actors are getting access into your environment. How we can continue to operate in this way where we don't think visibility of these devices is important is just not living, is just not acknowledging reality, frankly, at this point. As you pointed out, the traditional protection measures that we're used to deploying, endpoint protection and so on, don't really port so well to no. embedded devices. No. Too many different platforms, too many resource constraint, right? Is this merely about knowing where your risk is or are there specific steps that organizations can take, again, both on the producer side, the OEM side, and on the consumer side, the customer side, to address the underlying risk? Otherwise, it's a boil the ocean problem, right? Trying to lift the level of software quality across all of these different IoT devices. That's a big, that's a big ask. Massive. Yeah, so I think there's a significant number of compliance frameworks and standards that we can all align towards if we're interested in doing that. But my favorite way to change things is to let the market be responsible for making the change. Okay. But we're not giving the market the information it needs to determine if it wants to make that change or not. That's the problem. I've said this many times, and this is probably a crazy thing to say as a startup CEO, but if, we can, if I could magically have an S-bomb for every single thing that we support on planet Earth right now, and nobody cared about that, then I got to do something else with the rest of my life, right? <laughs> right? right. But I don't, I don't expect that to be the case. Right. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I were to provide Nest Bomb for every device that JP Morgan had, I'm willing to bet they're gonna have some terse words for those device manufacturers. Yeah. And that's going to force those device manufacturers to probably pursue better approaches to developing products, secure by design, secure to market, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not even giving people that ammunition right now. It's always. This is what you have in security. You have this perpetual chicken and egg problem somewhat, and it always takes a handful of organizations and people and whatever to like breach that problem and then 
and a flood starts. Mm -hmm. One of the arguments you sometimes hear about mm -hmm. why there is such resistance to S-bombs is that there are vendors out there who don't want to open the doors and let people know, oh yeah, we've been using this out-of-date library. This is really about self-preservation. There's no such thing. There are bodies in the closet and they really don't want to open the closet and show where the bodies are. I'll try to come up with an analogy. So imagine everyone had the flu. Everyone on planet Earth has the flu. Allegedly. And then someone was like, hey, would you want to take a, a flu test? And they're like, no. Yeah. It's everyone has it. Yeah. So my, my point here is, Everyone yeah. is in a bad spot. Yeah. There is, we have looked at thousands and thousands of device manufacturers right. and millions of firmware images. Right. I cannot point to one right. that is like the, the beacon of lights yeah. amongst all other device manufacturers. Right. It does not exist. Right. So what are people ashamed of? Right. There's nothing, it just is what it is. Yeah. There's nobody no, at a comparative advantage or disadvantage. None. Right. And, and by the way, that is going to start changing. Right. So as an example, the companies who've been using our product for over a year and right. soon to be years are getting a really good handle right. on all of the vulnerabilities and risks and making those changes. Right. And sooner rather than later, those companies are going to be able to say, we are quantitatively better right. and quantitatively more secure right. than X, Y, or Z company right. who might be a much, much bigger right. company, frankly. Yeah. But they haven't adopted this mentality yet. So whenever people are like, oh, I'm nervous that we're going to find problems, it's like, why are you in this business right. if finding problems is what you are afraid of? That is... That's what we do. And we all know that you can stick your head in the sand, but yeah. the one person who's definitely not going to stick their head in the sand is the cyber adversary, right? They are going to, they are on the lookout for these. Uh, exactly. They, right. I so, say that all the time. Listen, we have a absolutely incredible team at yeah. NetRise. Right. Top shelf. I, I am the, I am really low on the totem pole. Right. <laughs> at NetRise. <laughs> in terms Except of. Except that you're seeing. I'm the CEO, yeah, I'm good at talking to people. But to live in this world where we're the only ones that are capable of identifying these vulnerabilities and risks is just totally untrue, right? And that's the only people that are not benefiting from this kind of solution is the end user. They're the only ones not benefiting. The only, it's funny that the people who push back on it the most are the only two people that are being impacted, which is the device manufacturer and the end user of the device. So let me talk about, so one of the topics that often comes up or one of the arguments is we need more regulation. And, and recently we saw the passage of the Patch Act, yeah. which is for medical devices. And this is, of any federal legislation that's ever been passed, gets the closest to some of the things that yeah. you're talking about, which is requires medical device makers to have S-bombs to yep. show that they're that they're using secure development practices, that they are remediating vulnerabilities, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Yep. It works because behind it is the Food and Drug Administration, which actually can say to a company, you cannot sell your product until you meet this standard. I think that other agencies may actually, in theory, have that ability legally, but they don't use it. The FDA is kind of an outlier that way, but the Patch Act is a really good model for how, what this, what it might look like to extend that into other verticals, other types of product, home appliances, manufacturing equipment, you name it. What are your thoughts on that? Is that the way to do it or? 
So philosophically, I am generally not a big fan of regulation. Yeah, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just, do we see the people running the government? <laughs> the concern do we, is, we, is that you're gonna, you're, you're gonna mandate, you're gonna lock stuff in, right? I do think that regulation of certain things is obvious. Health safety. We, health safety. So the fact that the FDA does it, I think is a good, it's a good model. Even though that my company would probably greatly benefit from regulation, once again, I'm generally, I'm not like wildly supportive of it. What, like I said before, let the market do the talking. It's, now that being said, you have just an amazing amount of work coming out of organizations like CISA, who are now operationalizing the SBOM use cases and all of that. And they're providing this, like the toothpaste is out of the tube, right? Because we have customers come to us and say, hey, our end users are demanding SBOMs now. There's no regulation, it's just happening. And so, now is that gonna be enough to get the mass adoption that we all hope and dream for? I just, I can't know that. But also, as we begin to see the federal government adopt them more for their own, which is happening, they've got the biggest stick on planet Earth. And I don't mean from a regulation perspective, buyer, I yeah. mean it from a buying perspective. Yeah, lead by example. This is definitely a model that the federal government is interested in, 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 in using. And that stuff current. ends up translating to the commercial side yeah. in a hurry. You look at other companies who had super early success in the federal government, like Carbon Black and yeah. FireEye and companies like that, and just yeah. it went well for them. So when you look at the process, and we've seen so many examples, I talk a lot about the, the web hackers versus the auto industry, the research Sam Curry and his team came out with a few months back, a huge just raft of telematics vulnerabilities, yeah. and manufacturers and suppliers, the auto industry, uh, Mudge, you know, a few years ago did the you know, survey, 15 year survey of yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, broadband routers and yeah. no net improvement in security across 6,000 firmware images over 15 years. So there's a lot of kind of evidence that practices are not great. But when you look at it, what, what are the things that these companies are not doing or investing in that's resulting in these bad outcomes, vulnerable, trivially vulnerable software pushed into production, pushed out to end users, and then compromised. What part of the build, development, release process are they getting wrong, and what types of capabilities do they need to really improve the quality of, of what's coming out the other end? Is they, it just awareness? Is it just... You always have those things, right? Those yeah. things always exist, those like more existential com yeah. human components. But I think if we're talking about like from a more tactical, technical yes. pro product perspective. It's like, how do we know if I have malware on my computer today versus yesterday? Because I have antivirus running on it. Right. I'm continuously monitoring it. Right. That is possible. Yeah. Now, not via an agent, uh -huh. but if we have an SBOM as an example, uh -huh. we can continuously monitor those components right. to determine if they get vulnerabilities or not. Right. This is not, we're not trying to cure cancer here. Right. Like this is basic. Right. This is like really simple stuff. You're using this Python module library. We learned yesterday there's a RCE. And that's not to say, oh, right. here's a vulnerability in this open source component. It needs to be fixed tomorrow. Yeah. But at least now we have visibility. Yes. Now we're making decisions right. based on data and not which way the wind's blowing. That's right. Now we're doing the same things we're doing on our laptops, desktops, and servers, right. just using a different approach because a different approach is required. Right. But continuously monitoring, improving things, 
et cetera. It's just the normal things we do already. I don't yes. think it, it doesn't require like a totally different paradigm and thought process in terms of how we address these things. What's the first step always? Get visibility. Yeah. Step one, you can't make decisions on things you can't see, right? And if you look at the critical security controls, everybody knows what critical security control number one is. Everyone. What's critical? It's asset inventory. What's critical security control number two? Software inventory. I think that's right. Maybe it's three, but I think it's software inventory, right? Yeah. And, and then like critical, and these are in order, in priority order. And right. so critical security control number like 18 or something is malware defense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> how many malware companies do you see around here? And how many software inventory companies do you see around here? Yes. Now, I know software inventory doesn't have, you know, cool threat group names. Not, not to name anybody. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of anyone. <laughs> I think it's really, that's simple, like in my opinion. I don't, yeah. it doesn't require this totally net new approach for all of this. If we always have visibility into what's going on, I don't think the product security teams have enough talent, enough budget. I don't think they have scalable solutions as it stands today, right? right? Same thing as antivirus. Let's go look at antivirus 15 years ago. Right. How did that scale? Not great. You had to have all these at management servers and you had to update all your signature databases on time. And then someday, one day someone was like, wouldn't it be neat if we like did all this in the cloud and it scaled and we only had to make a decision in one place and instead of 20 places? It's the exact same thing. So you go to product security teams right now and they're using like a discrete source code tool here, and they're using a software composition tool over here, and a certificate management tool over there, and a, and a tool to determine what is That's this how you fill the Mandalay Bay with boots. Here's how you find weak credentials, and these are all separate things. It can be in one thing. We built it in one thing, and we give you that continuous monitoring, we give you that constant analysis, we give you that real-time visibility, we give you the threat intelligence enrichment, we do all of the things that you need to do to basically address this thing and continuously monitor these devices. Like I said, it's, it, it's a really exciting time. The winds are blowing in the right direction for those of us in the supply chain risk management field. And so all I'm doing is putting up my sail and hanging on. Hanging on. Tom Pace, Rise. thank you so much for coming on. Thank Have you, sir. That was great. Yeah, thank you very much.